0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 163 of the Apple Lug Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. This episode is brought to you in part by Bo's All Natural Brewing. Check out Lug Tread. It's crisp, balanced, and refreshing. It's all three of those. And it's all three of those in a very strong way. Lug Tread is a, a lagered ale. And it's a term they coined. It's fermented like an ale and cold-aged like a lager. It's been Bo's flagship brand since they opened in 2006. And as of 2017 almost New Year, almost 2017. It is available in 355 milliliter cans for the first time and has won more than 20 awards. Check out the Kissmeyer Nordic Pale Ale. That stuff was long gone. I mean, I got that stuff a month, a couple months ago, and it, it went. It's delicious. It tastes like an IPA, but it's, it's delicious. Check out Wag the Wolf. It's part of their Wild Oats series, and they also put out about 50 brands a year. And uh, it's one of the, like the lug tread is delicious. It's funny. I it was eating dinner with my sister and brother, my brother and sister-in-law and they ordered lug treads. And I didn't even have to prompt them. What do you know? So check out their full-time IPA. It's hoppy, fruity and bold. It's their newest full-time brand, which is how they got the name. It's medium bodied and it finishes dry with lingering hop and fruit notes. So pick up Bose anywhere beer is sold nationwide in Canada. Go to Bose.ca for more information on their great products And that's that. Hey, Amazon shoppers, do you like to shop on Amazon? Do you want to support the show? You can do both by going to AppleLog.ca slash Amazon or AppleLog.ca slash US Amazon. So what you do is when you shop, you use those links. And every time you shop, use those links to shop, and you will be supporting the show. It costs you no extra money. If you want to go the old-fashioned way, go to applock.ca, and on the homepage, you'll see these little links on the right side. Click on those, bookmark those links, same thing. Supporting the show every time you shop on Amazon. And it's coming up on the holiday Christmas season. It's good. You know, it's a good thing. If you like to do it, because is costs you no money anyway, so you might as well do it. If you want to support the show on a more serious and a more monthly basis, go to patreon.com slash Pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. If you want to buy a t-shirt, go to apologca shop. There's also some music for sale there. iTunes. This is very important. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes and give it five stars, please. I tell friends. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod and follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have Dejan Martineau. Dejan Martineau is a record producer. He's worked with some friends of mine. He's worked in the industry for a, a good time. He has an interesting story because he put his neck on the line to, to for art and it's finally paying off. So here he is, Dejan Martineau on the Apolog Podcast. We've already kind of started yes. um oh cool yeah uh I've, I've, uh you're, you have a manager that's yes. uh that's, that's pretty cool i always wanted one of those <laughs>
1: <laughs> um it's it was a weird thing how it all kind of came about because uh by the time i was ready to get a manager i, I had stopped looking for one. Oh, and it we more were just kind of really good friends and hanging out and I think he just watched me make one too many bad deals and kind of was just like, you know what? I could wait, make you way more money. If I like just help you out with this. Yeah. So even, even now it's still pretty, pretty casual. We're still just kind of hanging out drinking buddies, but then anytime it gets serious business, I just kind of pass it off to him and it makes it way better.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the same thing with independent artists is that you can't, well, I mean, we're in a society where everybody, we're in a industry now where everybody is a little bit of everything. They're a little yeah. bit of a musician. They're well. They're a lot of musician, but they're a little bit of business. They're a little bit of uh, management. They're a little bit of bookkeeping, but that's never where they're strong. Like musicians and artists in general are supposed to be, you know. And I consider what you do and what I do kind of bit of an art. And mm-hmm. when you're making art, you're creating something. It's tough to actually separate yourself and put on another hat and be that person that needs to get down to the hard tax. Then you become that guy that's hard to work with.
1: Absolutely. Especially if you care about a project. Like As soon as you like music, then you're screwed. You're definitely <laughs> not going to make any money off that project and you're going to burn way too much on time on it and you're, you're not going to know when the cutoff point is. That's the worst. Because like, say you, you're really passionate about a project and they keep coming at you with like, ah, oh, can we change one more thing? You're like, okay, yeah, let's let's make it perfect. And having a manager is great to just be like, yeah, no, we passed the deadline, we're done. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. There is uh, there is a lot of studios and
0: engineers out there that do the per song thing, and yeah. uh, that's you never it
1: never works out. It it can, but then you have to like put all these rules on it, and I don't like having those rules. You know, to just be like, no, you get three revisions and we're done. I never do that with anyone. I'm just like, let's get it right but then you you kind of put yourself out there where you know how many revisions before you call it because yeah yeah some yeah. artists are terrible at that
0: yeah. <laughs> oh yeah the ones that can't make their minds up i it's funny cuz i kind of grew up in the day of destructive recording like you couldn't you could erase it and re-record over it but yeah. you couldn't have so much perspective and choices and that to me was like the uh that's what, like big studios did stuff like that like big studios yeah. have 10 different snares they want to choose from. And then they go back to the first one, they put the mic on the first try and mics. And I never had like a big choice of stuff. So I would usually commit to what I had to then and there. And if somebody wanted to change, then we would just have to redo the whole thing. And that was always a bit of a, Oh, okay. So we have to do that. Okay. Maybe we should
1: just leave it as it is. or Yeah. Well, it was always such a bargaining back then. Like, cause I've done more than a few sessions on tape. And anytime you're tracking that, it's like, are you sure you want to try that drum track again? Like, we've got an okay one. Mm-hmm. You know? are, you, are you sure you're going to do better? And it was such an interesting way of thinking how how you couldn't just like, well, let's just try it and see what happens. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> I um I had Ron Hawkins from Low to Low and also from Ron Hawkins' Do Get Assassins, and he actually puts his Pro tool sessions in Destructive Record. So there's really? no undoes. Yeah. So when you record, you're erasing what was underneath it and so is a ballsy move
1: that's 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 up there yeah because like yeah I've I've toyed with it a couple of times but I'm like you know what hard drives are cheap I'll just yeah I'll just pretend like it's not there yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: so you've been so you've been actively recording and engineering professionally for how how long
1: now um think about this well I was at I was at phase one for seven years and before that I was freelance uh kind of A freelance editor slash second engineer for a bunch of producers for about two years and then i spent a year at um really small studio called q music and so about 10 11 years yeah like that so when did you start well you were at phase one towards the end of it because it's gone now right it is completely gone um one of the other engineers there has bought the name i believe and has bought the website and everything and he actually um helped tear down the entire building so because they had to strip the whole unit. So when he was stripping it, um, he he took everything and put it in storage. Every every panel, every piece of wall. Wow. Um, and he took exact measurements of everything, and he has a dream of rebuilding it. And I think he is, Uh, I just heard yesterday, actually, that he signed a lease on a place. So he's going to try and rebuild Studio A from Phase 1, piece for piece. How oh, wow. Exactly in another room. How weird would that be? With the I, floor
0: yeah. too, because the floor has that weird, had that weird square wood the stuff. The parquet flooring. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know about that much, but that's classic
0: uh... studio floor, by the way.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it sounds better. Yeah, it's like an old <laughs>
0: church. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because um. I did a record there. I was drum teching for Trouble Charger when they did um the American Psycho album. I, I oh nice. Yeah, and that was when the Neve was there, and it was, it was not doing so well when I was there. It was part of it, but half of it was, was broken. And oh really i remember the what guy, year was that oh it would have been early 2000s i'm gonna say like 2001 mm-hmm. maybe 2000 whenever that record before that record came out right and um they were we were track, and they just got the api in the studio b Yep, that was Love brand that. new cool. at that point yeah so and they were thinking about making a third room but i, I don't remember sorry but i do remember because we had two guys from la we had matt hyde and uh forget about the guitar tech. The guy actually just texts for Matt Hyde, and he also does all sorts of crazy stuff down there. But they would come and complain about the board because half of it wasn't working. What he said is you need to chop that broken half of the of that board and, and sell it and fix the other
1: half. Like, it would be- Well, you know what they ended up doing? Um, they ended up... I don't know. I can't remember exactly where they got them from, but they found the original manufacturer of the, the Re- Real Neve switches. And... They ended up replacing every switch in that whole desk. Wow, that yeah, sounds that was a big expensive. <laughs> oh yeah, and um, we were still replacing switches all the time and maintaining it. But but as of when I left there, it was in great condition. All forty-eight channels were working pretty well. You had the odd spotty thing on like an EQ here and there, but yeah, you know, for a forty-something-year-old Neve, it was working great.
0: Yeah, because I think it was working on thirty channels when we were there. And that mm. was barely making what uh, what they wanted for when it came to tracking drums, but yeah, right. was, that's an interesting. There's a lot of history to that place, like and uh there who owned it when was it um I forget the name of the guy who owned it because it had changed hands a few times between the '90s yeah. and to present when it was finally went away.
1: But, I uh, believe uh this I could be wrong on this one. I think it was Paul. I want to say, I uh, can't remember the name of the guy, but I think he owned. I've
0: ever heard He went was, over to
1: Metalworks after, I believe.
0: Yeah, no, this uh, was, I, this could all be wrong information. This was a guy sure. I had met and who owned another studio before that. When I was working with, um, I was working with Snow at his home studio, and we didn't have any auto tuning, so we took it to a place called P- Pizzazudio.
1: Oh, you're talking about Barry? Yeah. Yeah, Barry. He owned it right up until it closed.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. Good. Okay, because that guy was a nice guy. I liked him.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was good. He, I, he's the one who hired me and worked for him for seven years. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So he was there for a while then. Okay, yeah. Yep. That's an amazing. Yes, yeah, so there's so much history to that place. Uh, so many things, obviously recorded there. So many great albums. Um, I had a friend, Eric Ratz, worked there for a while.
1: Yes, he, Eric. He's he's my mentor. He taught me everything. Really, I,
0: know. I went to high school with him.
1: Amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We went to high school. Really good guy. Really good guy. Actually, I think I've told the story once before, but Eric had a party and his parents didn't know about it. And he had white floor in his basement in Bay Ridges when we lived in Pickering. And all the cigarette burns in the carpet, there were these notable cigarette burns all over the floor. (laughs) So we were going to the edge of the carpet and taking bits of felt and foam or whatever part of the carpet and sticking it with white glue to the (laughs) (laughs) cigarette burns so I can just imagine, like, when his mom goes to vacuum the the carpet, it would just all get picked up, you know. <laughs> I hope he remembers that, because it was a very interesting, like, I sure this is going to work? Yes, it's going to work. Like, he had a you know, <laughs> he was convinced, this is going to work. My parents will never know I had this crazy party in my house.
1: <laughs> I, I still see him regularly, so we really? will ask him for you. Please oh, do.
0: Yeah, yeah I want to get him on the show, too, because he's uh, he's in, he's obviously done lots of cool stuff as well, you know. and uh, Oh, yeah. This, this show doesn't limit just to musicians, obviously. It's like industry types you know and and it's a you know being in the music business for so many years do you find does it get easier
1: um i wouldn't say easier i'd say it gets different yeah um like the the, one of the things i found most interesting is as everything grew everything also got way more expensive so you know, like in my first year of just being in the music industry, I think I made something awful like $7,000. Mm-hmm. And it was just terrible. And I was in a pile of debt and I just put everything on credit cards. And like this year, I'm doing really well. But now I'm hiring assistants. I'm renting out big studios. And like I'm just looking at all the money coming in. And I'm just watching it go straight out the door. And it was like, cool. It still feels like I made $7,000 this year. <laughs> I just did a lot more. It just got taxed for too. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I mean, and I think that kind of is a metaphor for the industry as a whole is like, it, you do more and like more's going on, but it, it's never really easier. It's just different. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I never really got into like working larger albums or dealing with larger things. I think for that very reason that I wanted to maintain and control my own destiny. <laughs> and, you know, and I, uh, like I've, like I've done some wacky shit. Like I, I toured in a, I put everything in my van and it traveled all over Canada with my gear. And that's in the days of eight ads. So I didn't have a, oh you know, God. so everything would be the, had this big, large hill console. And I, I sort of thought, Oh, that's cool. I'm controlling what I can do and I can choose whether or not I want to do these things. And mm-hmm. I, my, my line was drawn between excelling into that level where you're working with record labels and, expectations, you know, and all yeah. these things that I didn't know, first of all, if I could deliver on it. And I didn't know if I had the passion to be in that role. I mean, you really right. got to want to work in that level. And the competition for me, I, I guess I, I'm saying I would rather be a big fish in a little pond than...
1: Right. And like, you, you really kind of hit the nail on the head there with the, to work at that level, you have to care more about working at that level than yeah. anything you're doing right now like you, it, instead of working on a project and thinking this is going to be a hit song or I want this song to sound like this, you got to think where's this as a puzzle piece in my career? Like who's, who am I making happy here so that they'll tell someone else so that I can work with that person so that I can step up here. And um, yeah, a lot of the times you finish a mix and you're not happy with it, but as long as, you know, a, the labels happy with it or the client's happy with it, then that's, what's most important. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's a really interesting thing to um to, to work with and the the thing that surprised me the most by doing that is the times i was surprised by like that's not what have, what i would have done and when i finished it i didn't like it but then like a month later i go back and listen and i'm like oh okay i kind of like it now yeah now i don't know if that's just trying to live with it or something or maybe I'm just kind of stepping back and be like, oh, maybe they have something that I don't quite understand. That yeah, now I'm starting to get. It's like it's like having a hobby that's really difficult to do, like golf.
0: And you get yeah. out there and you kind of sucking up the place playing golf, and you're kind of like not happy with like your game. But then you go back and a week later, you're like, God, I really like to go play some golf you know and it's like yeah. same idea where maybe fresh ears and different perspective that's a that's a huge thing like just letting go of what you've worked on because when you own it for so many months or weeks or days yes. that you've been working on it and hours in the day that you don't really understand the big picture of what the mix is or what the approach of the song is and things like that. you know same thing like i you know as a songwriter i do the same thing i hate songs i write and i go back a year later and go, that wasn't so bad why did i throw that one out you know and you know, because you have a different perspective on what,
1: you know. Absolutely. Like, who knows? Maybe your favorite record that week was a country record, and you were trying to write a rock song, and you're like, ah, it just doesn't feel right, and yeah. you don't know why. Yeah. You go back a year later, like, oh, that's a wicked rock song. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Why did I hate it so much? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's- yeah, I, you know I, I know, I, I, definitely like, do, do you, you play music? Obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you write. Yeah. What's your what's your
1: what's your main genre? Like, what's your um that's a tricky one. I I'm jumping back. I started off as a metalhead as mm-hmm. I feel many of us do. Mm-hmm. Um and then I kind of fell into punk and everything and then one of my best friends from college just almost dragged me kicking and st- screaming to uh, into the folk world. Mm. And once I got into that, you know, my mind was blown because the songwriting is just over like over the top in that in that genre and just hanging out in the folk scene you know, going I went to uh summer folk festival a couple of times and just doing those circle jams and you know just seeing the community of music really changed my perspective on it a lot, so mm-hmm. that I, it's tough i I would say I float between folk and punk, yeah because i'm I'm done with metal, I don't want to play leads anymore. I love producing metal bands, sure, but like I just I can't keep my chops up there, man, like yeah. Yeah, it's getting playing over. that fast and technical especially with some of the guys that are coming out of there now and i'm a guitarist right yeah, so yeah i just stand no chance but I, I can plunk away at some folk chords or uh i won't even touch country those guys are way too good for me too but uh yeah 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 but yeah the folk and the punk you can just like hammer away at some chords and it's more about the structure of the song and the idea and the feeling and yeah
0: feeling is a big thing there for sure feeling because honesty and punk rock and honesty and folk and in general, is you know even even country honesty in anything is is more important
1: than than I think sometimes song structure, yeah, and you know once you have that song down, then you can just hire some good musicians to make it better.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Like, uh, what are you? What are your thoughts on like one band, one man band, band people? Like, are you like when it comes to recording?
1: When it, ah. Uh... It depends. Like, even even the best one-man bands I know, usually when they hit the studio, they hire session musicians. Yeah. Because there's something really special about working with multiple people. And, you know, I, I always thought of music as communication. It's, it's a way to send a message. It's a way to, you know, convey a feeling. And if you're just doing that by yourself, then you're kind of missing half the point. Like, yeah. just a bunch of people in a room all with the same feeling, same sort of idea, working together to get some sort of communal idea out in a song. Yeah. That's, that's what makes great music to me.
0: Yeah. And great musicians can emulate the feeling and not need to have to worry about the structure. And, yeah. You know, that's when you get good people in a studio who can knock something off and you go, holy fuck, that was awesome. And they go, I got a better one. You're like, what? You know, and that's the, <laughs> that's the part that always freaks me out. Like I, I used to work with the Hammond players to come in and drop his Hammond off and play a bit and just play through a song. And his first take was just riffing. I'm like, that's it. That's, that's what I need. And he goes, well, I'm yeah. You know what I mean? Like I had no yeah. idea about how much better it could get.
1: Yeah. Oh, and on those Hammond players, that's a whole other beast. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Like if, if there's anyone out there listening, who's a keyboard player, yeah. you're not a, you're not a Hammond player. That's a whole different thing. Like if, if you can be the best pianist on earth, or the best, you know, classical pianist or anything, but, like, the organ itself, it's just this whole other thing. Mm-hmm. All of the the drawbars and, like, to actually use the Leslie. Yeah. And the even the chord structures are different. Like, because yeah. you have so many harmonics going on in the instrument, usually I find they're dropping thirds and, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, the one that always blows my mind, or blows keyboards players' mind, because we used to have a Hammondette, at phase there and every keyboard player that would come through just like, Oh, can I play that? I'm like, I don't know. Can you?
0: <laughs>
1: cause they, they're always looking around they find the volume pedal and I'm just like, Oh, the pedal pedals acting funny. It's like, no, you, you don't get a sustained pedal. Yeah. You have to play everything. Yeah. You got
0: to turn it on in a special way. I have one yeah. up in my office cause I moved out of my studio. It was in a barn and my parents moved. So I had to move all my gear out. So there's a, there's an M I think it's an M one Oh seven up mm-hmm. with just the two smaller keyboards and i have a uh, a leslie that was modified cuz the actual tube amp part of it broke so it has yeah. a speaker input but the the speaker still turns so it's does, pretty... it, does
1: it boot up like the b3s where like yeah. you got you flip the one switch and yeah. then you turn over the other one and you it, heat like it up and then cranked.
0: you yeah crank yeah. the tone wheels yeah
1: it feels like you're cranking up an old car or yeah, something yeah it
0: literally is it's turning these <laughs> these wheels around inside yeah. it i didn't understand the concept of one But I know, there's a friend of mine, this guy I know, he got one for free. And it was like one of that classic story out of an old church, you know, he had a B3. And he took it to his house and he decided, I'm gonna rewire it. I'm gonna gonna make this, I'm gonna refurbish it. Mm -hmm. And um, he got it apart, but forgot to mark, because there's these little tiny wires that run in the thing, and that's how you get the, the whatever. He forgot to label the wires. So he had this loom come out of it, and he was like, "I don't know how to put it back together." So, uh, and he's not a stupid guy; like, he's a, he's a computer science major in university, yeah. like graduate, but he and also a musician—deadly w- w- combination, by the way. But I, I, could, I couldn't believe how, like, how are you going to do this thing back together? Now it's like a piece of furniture. I'm sure it's a, just a piece of like furniture.
1: <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny talking about the boot up on those things too. I remember uh, we were doing a big sugar session at Phase once and um i think the assistant didn't boot up the b3 perfect like it was half you know how it gets in like that half sort of thin sound yeah 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 it's like gross and like it hasn't fully started up and like at that point you're supposed to panic flip it off because you're choking the tubes or something like Mm. i've always just been told like don't do that you're gonna break it
0: yeah
1: but gordy heard it and he walks in the room is like that's it that's the sound it's perfect Like, (laughs) oh god no so um yeah we ended up tracking the whole song with the organ like in that state and he loved it and i think like a week later it did blow up and we had to have the tech in and retubed (laughs) it and redid a whole bunch of things but uh yeah that ended up being one of the sounds on uh big big sugar record was really the the half booted up broken b3 sound (laughs)
0: Which album was that? Because I know Eric was really attached. to That Eric Ratz was on that.
1: Right. That, that would have been after he he left FaZe. Because I was. Oh. This would have been. This was the one Big Sugar reunited. So this uh, is. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was. I can't remember which record it was. It was either the RPM record that I was on, or the one after that. Um, which I wasn't as big a part of, but mm-hmm. I was just kind of floating around and kind of helping out here and there because yeah. that's how Phase was. He always just kind of just kind of jump in the room when someone needed something. Yeah,
0: yeah. What was the record where it actually had loops for drums, but everybody thought it was real drums? This is an Eric record too. Oh, that would have been before my time. I don't so, know. Not HemiVision. The one in between HemiVision. Might have been. Was it HemiVision? I don't know. But apparently, like the drummer got a Now Award for like best drummer on that album. And Eric thought it was hilarious <laughs> because it's was like, actually, it's me. I made the loops. <laughs> so I was like, you're the best That's drummer hilarious. in Toronto, Eric. <laughs> Maybe I let oh, some, some skeletons out of the closet, but that was, a, <laughs> was an interesting thing. So uh, so when you, uh, when, you, when you made that jump from like, kind of like, being a musician into engineering, did you always have a passion to record and to work in music like that?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, though the, the actual official switch was kind of an accident. Um, because I, I had done my, when I was in high school, I'd done my Cisco certs and my a plus and all that. And I was going to be a computer engineer. That was my thing. And I, I actually had a job. Well, I was, it was kind of my own company doing tech for a couple of midsize companies in St. Thomas, Ontario, actually. Okay. And I would just go in and I'd service their computers and they paid me good money and that was it. And I was set. Um, so it was time for me to go to college and I was just like, well, I really like music. I kind of want something to do after work. So I went, I went to the Fanshawe music industry arts program just to kind of learn a hobby kind of. And, uh, I hung out there and did the whole two year program and I had my hobby set. And after I finished, Kevin Doyle had actually kind of taken me under his wing as, as, you know, he was mentoring me and teaching me a lot of stuff. Really great guy, brilliant engineer. Um, and so he's like so what are you doing after school I was like I'm just going back to work and you know I figured I'd make a couple of my own records in the evenings after work it's kind of just a hobby for me and his jaw dropped and he was like no 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 no. you're good at this you should like go make a run at it like you should move to Toronto and try this out and I looked at him and I was like man that's that doesn't sound like a good idea I'm gonna go back to work and make some money and over the next three months, I lost my job. Like both companies had moved to another another thing. And um, my girlfriend at the time had left me. And I was just like, oh, I got nothing else to do. Why not move to Toronto and give it a shot? Yeah. And uh, I immediately got an internship at Cherry Beach, which uh, didn't last super long. Then jumped over to this small studio, Q Music, which uh, the manager of that studio, Robert Siboney, ended up being a great friend to me. And he helped me out a ton. He's the one who introduced me to Eric Ratz and Gavin Brown and all those guys, and helped me get those gigs. And then after I worked for those guys, ended up just kind of making my own records. And then eventually, got the uh, someone asked me if I wanted a an assistant p- position over at Phase. Did that for a few months, and then they promoted me to engineer, and then I've been there ever since. Oh, yeah. So it like it kind of just fell into it. <laughs> yeah. At no point was I like, okay, I'm gonna go do this. It was like, well, let's just try this out for a bit, see yeah. what happens.
0: Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an interesting look at it. Cause it is, it sounds more normal than the average, you know, when you hear the average person, like, oh, I didn't want to have a normal job. And, and I think all those things kind of play into it as well. Like were we you always sort it sounds like you're a bit of an entrepreneur anyways. Was that yeah, something from early ages? Too?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I started my first company when I was like 11 or 12 years old. I'd made websites for my dad's friends. Really? That's pre WordPress too. Oh yeah, no, all in text like notepad. That's all I still my current website I made in notepad. Really? No nobody believes me. But it's it's I just I can have all the control there.
0: Yeah. See I I a couple of years ago got into HTML and PHP and I got a little bit into like JavaScript as well as database management stuff because I wanted to make this website where like local crew guys could be part of like a community where they yeah. could all like sign in and saying i'm available for work Mm -hmm. and i had a guy helping me i knew nothing this is almost five years ago now i knew nothing about computers i didn't know any well i knew how to sort of record but i didn't know anything but behind the screen was like all wizardry to me (laughs) so i wanted to make a database where people could sign in and show their name that i'm available to work and then people go to that website and see who's available to work and whatever department you want it to be and then immediately connect with them because they're on the same system and then you could have them to work in like a moment's notice yeah, nobody picked the idea like everybody thought well everybody's got texting and everybody said but what i wanted to just centralize it so like you're dealing with like a nasco or a, or a snap hook or whatever that they mm-hmm. have this database and people are immediately on it and you immediately get the the confirmation whether you can work and it gives you your schedule and everything but it was a big idea but i didn't know how to do it so i decided I'm basically learn. you'd
1: have to like force the big one on it and then yeah. everyone else would follow in right yeah
0: yeah so i had and- a I, had, a, I had the idea, I had the plan, but it, it didn't really come to fruition. But what I did learn and want to learn is how HTML works. So I started with YouTube and looked at how to do it. And, oh, look, it changed the color of the page, you know, <laughs> like, hey, look <laughs> at me. And, and I got to the point where then when I found out like, oh, there's WordPress out there, I don't need to reinvent responsive websites yeah. i don't need to reinvent that stuff it's all done for me and if i want to tweak it out and then a friend of mine steve who designs uh steve crackle designs websites he goes i use wordpress as my backbone everything else i can change myself so yeah. that was sort of the endorsement to like ah,
1: is you know but there's something I, to be said about doing it from scratch you know what i've for the last five years i've toyed with changing over to a wordpress site and I probably will at some point, just because, like you said, why why reinvent the wheel? Mm-hmm. But I also, I kind of came up right in that magic time where technology was very available and it was just everywhere, but it was terrible. Like, yeah. it, it, we didn't have iPhones where you just, like, point at it and you're like, I want it to do this. Yeah, Like, when I turned on my computer, you just got a black screen with, like, a prompt. Yeah, And you had to tell it what to do. Yeah, And I loved that. I loved that. And, like... I think that's, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit of an old guy here, but a detriment to all the kids coming up now is when I see them working with Dawes, because I, I don't know if you know, I teach at Harris as well. I teach okay, you know, yeah, in yeah, a yeah. Class I went there. Weird. I was the first oh, really? seven
0: students there, yeah. When nice. I, yeah, 1988, 1987, that's when I went there. I didn't pass oh, wow. either. I failed, uh, <laughs> Where did I fail? I failed acoustics.
1: Ah, uh, who was teaching it back then? Pilsner
0: Martin Pilsner. Oh,
1: he's still teaching it. No
0: shit. Yep. Tell him is high. Now he won't remember me. He's one <laughs> funny guy though, my God. Really?
1: I, have, I don't get to see him too much. Um he says, we work on different days. Okay.
0: Oh, so carry carry on. Sorry.
1: <laughs> but Yeah, so when I see these when I see these kids interacting with their Daws, um it, it's very apparent that they they're just looking at the surface. Yeah. Right? They're just like they're that button is, is physically doing something. Mm-hmm. Whereas I came up from a programming background. And that's Kind of how I got in with a lot of these studios is, you know, their software would crash. And we're like, oh, I can fix that. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a video would have the wrong codec and I'd flip that out. No problem. So I came from a very nerdy tech background. And I see these kids coming up now and, and they, they look at the computer as some sort of magical box that sort of just does everything for them. Yeah. And even, even from a creative aspect, when you're looking at, you know, you're converting sounds into digital ones and zeros. Yeah. There's an optimal way to do that. And if you're just looking at meters on a page, it's not necessarily going to sound the best, especially yeah. if you're using all the old analog standards. Like, you know, a lot of the the engineers teach, like, well, just get the maximum amount. You want the most resolution. Well, like, Well, not necessarily in a digital system. No. You're not fighting a noise floor anymore. You know, you want your maximum dynamic range, which usually is somewhere around the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then everybody so, squishes it in mastering. But go yeah. on. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> well, that's the fun part, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's that. That's that's my favorite part. It's like, oh, this mix is kind of boring. Let's throw a limiter on it. Yeah. Oh, cool! It's done. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Well, because there is another aspect to that too. I mean, I have children. Uh, I have a 14 year old and a, an 11 year old. And there's options where you can take computer programming courses. And because technology is so cheap and small, like I have a couple of Raspberry Pis behind me. These little tiny. Micro- I love
1: those things. Love them.
0: And I and I think what you can do with those is beyond the limits of what even PCs could do 10 years ago. Like, Oh yeah. It's amazing. But children, and now, I love that. I love that you have the access to just pin out and yeah. And make it control anything you want. Oh yeah. I've made some cool stuff with it. I made a chimes thing for my theater where you hold button one. It says, good morning. The theater is open. That's awesome. So it's those 10 buttons like, but, but they have this resource where they can actually deep, dig deep and there's a lot of people out there saying that computer program language could be an actual language that that students will have to understand as part of their curriculum because that would be
1: amazing yeah
0: there's a move there's a there's a movement for it
1: that would be great because i think having a fundamental understanding of how your technology works allows you to just use it way better yes even when it's just doing something dumb by like being slow or crashing you can appreciate what it's doing yeah, it's like, oh, give it a second. It's thinking about something. Yeah. And it's that's not just an arbitrary statement for someone who understands programming. It's it's like you can understand why it might be hanging. Mm-hmm. Or and then you have a better understanding when it might actually be fully crashed versus just it's doing something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Rather than just switch it off, maybe it's still going to do that same think process when it boots up. Like that's yeah. the one thing you try to explain to people like it's spinning now cuz it's turning off. But it's going to do the exact same thing when it boots back up. It's it's yeah. it's thinking. Um, it but how people think is is interesting because I, I work with a few people who are like pretty technically. They're they're good at problem solving, and then there's people mm-hmm. that are really smart but don't know, understand the concept. Like if I'm not getting IP, maybe the Ethernet plug's not plugged in all the way. Like the right. actual fundamental part of I guess what's called EQ or whatever the part of, IQ and EQ, but. Where people are really smart, but they overthink the problem. Yeah. And you try to explain to them, there is a simple solution to this problem. And you just have to start from the beginning and know where to start. And that's the big problem what you're explaining. It's the same idea. It keys into what you're saying is that you got to kind of know the fundamental problems before you can solve the problem.
1: Yeah. And it definitely is two entirely different ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like the, the problem solving versus just the theoretical brilliant smart. And it's funny how much they don't connect.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I work with somebody who is obviously intelligent and smart, but when we're trying to figure out a MIDI problem, it's like there's so many different avenues that he goes down where you're like, or I could just do one thing and fix it, you know? Yeah. But I like bouncing ideas off people. There's other people I bounce ideas off and then I can come up with like a solution. But he, this other guy throws me in this big old loop tangent loop of like, I'm thinking like him for a second. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! What? What do you want me to do? Like, there's there's all these things and and things he throws in, like gateways and this and that. And yeah, for some reason, his sure. console always has glitches in it too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, I know those people. I, I have many of them in my life. Yeah, but that's why we exist, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, question for you: You've been playing with the the Raspberry Pis. Have you gotten into the TNC Arduino stuff? I do, actually. I I love those things. I make these things for Q
0: Lab. They're controller boxes. This one's not together. This one actually is the shape of the Q Lab beaker, and there's a go a go button, a panic, scroll up and down, pause and play, and it's all off the Teensy
1: LC. Look at this. This is my Teensy controller. Ah, you got one too. (laughs) What is that for? Pro Tools. Yeah, it's my Pro Tools controller, and uh, yeah, I, I have it do a bunch of stuff. I have like a, basically record, play, um, new playlist, duplicate playlist. And I know where you got your buttons from too.
0: Did you get your buttons from Arcade Canada?
1: Uh, no, um, actually, I, I built this thing while I was down in L.A. because uh, their electronic stores are amazing down yeah, there. Yeah, because we don't it's, have like
0: CL doesn't have arcade buttons. You can get them at this place out of out of actually at uh, by Hamilton Burlington area.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Our electronic stores are kind of sad. I wish they were cooler, but we're, unfortunately we have to go to like DigiKey or just shop online or something. Yeah. Yeah. But that's so I, funny.
0: Is that a MIDI controller? or Is that an actual key controller?
1: Uh, this is a key controller. Yeah. I'm working on building one that's a MIDI controller. Actually, I have a second one here too that I just finished. This one's like another paging controller for Pro Tools. That's
0: so hilarious. That we make the same thing, you know. There's a way I found. How do you so do you? Do you need to have focus. This is nerd talk. Everybody can probably skip ten minutes in this podcast now, but <laughs> do you have the? Because I figured out a way to pull focus like a MIDI controller to QLab. and I'll oh, send okay. you, I'll send you the code because what it does is says I actually installed a thing called Activate onto the mm-hmm. computer, and Activate I then put in my QLab Lab or whatever the the hot key I want it to go to, and, and then I program it into the uh, the Teensy board. So at the very right. top of the command is that hot key, right. then the command. So even if I'm on another window or reading something, I can still hit panic, and it immediately right. goes over to QLab and panics the, panics the show.
1: Oh, that's cool. So that's kind yeah, of what MIDI does. Like it's so better I've, than MIDI. I've done one as a MIDI controller. Um, and I kind of got bored with that immediately cause there's a million great MIDI controllers out there. Um, yep. so th- the next thing I was trying to do and I got halfway through it and then I just like broke my brain and had to take a few days off is I'm working on a Huey controller oh. so that I can actually do like full proper DAW control yep. and have like record ready states and everything. Yep. And then I'm basically, once I have that, I'm going to just start integrating it into my entire home studio and just have things all over the place that are actually Huey controlled. That's amazing. I uh, well, I had out of the where
0: I worked, we had an SSL AWS nine hundred, and all the faders, they're the Alps faders. Um, they were the faulty ones in the first line of the boards. So we bought all the new faders, and I got all of the faders out of the board. So I have like a ton of. I just don't know where they are, (laughs) but I have (laughs) twenty five. Alps faders that are that are on stepper motors that actually can be used for something like that. I'm just going to yeah. find them.
1: Don't yeah, them. you could totally hook that up. The only thing that would be tricky is that uh, I'm using the TNC 3.2, and I think that only has like nine analog outs. Yeah,
0: so- the, there is... The, I thought the LC did
1: 23.
0: 23 separate... Uh, you can call them up as whatever you want.
1: Oh, analog or digital? Oh, yeah oh, that would be cool. Yeah. yeah I'll, maybe I'll have to switch over to that one. Yeah. Because I just, the last one I built, I just was using the, the TNC 3.2 and I got halfway through building and I realized I put all the LEDs on digitals. So I couldn't, I couldn't do like varying light levels and it actually really pissed me off oh. because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. just like, oh, I want to be able to like dim it. And I just didn't have any dimming function. Yeah, because really
0: in, it. you know, computer language, I had to go and sort of take code until somebody made a go button. It was just yeah. a button in a box, and then I I found his code on GitHub, and then mm-hmm. all I did was use that code to create the thing that did five buttons, you know?
1: Uh, Do you know his name? I forget his name. might be the same guy I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I used another guy to get my, my Chimes controller, too, because that was a whole different process, but yeah, it was just a button in sort of a weird gray box.
1: Yeah, that sounds... So uh, when I was building this, I was so staying in L.A. down with uh, my buddy Elijah Wood. Not that Elijah oh, Wood, wow. another one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's actually, oddly enough, he's the drummer for Shania Twain. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, he's he's another brilliant guy. Yeah. Like, super smart. He's heavy programmer, wicked drummer. Uh, I think he just started drumming for Gwen Stefani as well. Oh, wow. And um, he was the one who I went to this electronics shop with. And he, he, he was the one who introduced, introduced me to all this stuff and um, he was building a box for a playback rig for a buddy of his, and it was the first time I'd ever seen this concept, and what they needed was just to hit play on two different digital performer rigs at the same time, so that he didn't have to hit spacebar on two computers yeah. at the same time. Yeah, that's exactly what these QLab boxes do. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, he built one of those, and then based on that, like I was sitting there with just like a handful of arcade buttons, because like, oh, this is cool and fun, and That's where I got the idea, like, well, if we can use it to control um, Digital Performer in a live sense, why can't I make it like a full controller for Pro Tools in a a studio sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we kind of developed this thing together, and then I've just gone crazy with them.
0: Yeah, I made these things that call them cue boxes, and I put it on production resources, and I've sold five of them over the past six months. But I sold one to a guy in New York who's going to Las Vegas. He's the main pyro coordinator for their big new year's yeah in las vegas and he told me like he wanted something because he wanted it to run in redundancy with two separate QLab computers so i built him the box with the two outputs for it and he's the, the go button that is on press dot new year's is going to be from my my button my go button so that's uh, awesome yeah i was pretty that was pretty a proud moment you know it was like Cause I just made it. Cause I thought I wanted some. Cause I worked with QLab almost every day. So I'm right. almost like. And then the fact that I wanted to run two computers, I'm like, I don't want to press spacebar. That's, that's that's lame.
1: Yeah. So literally came from the exact same idea. That's yeah. hilarious.
0: So then that's... I I found out about. I just looked at it and found out. I found this guy who made a go button, and that's kind of where I went with it. And it's it's uh it gets fun. Like and the other thing I do is I, I 3D print. So yeah. I'm a big 3D printer, and I have two of them with me. There's one, actually, you can kind of see back there.
1: Ooh, I might have to bug you about that later. And then I got cause... one in
0: the closet that's a newer one that works all the time. Right now, actually, it's been pretty dry. But I, when I started my new jo- I started a job in Richmond Hill, and I just started making stuff. Like, I make headphone holders. things oh, cool. Hand off, off-road cases. So they hold in and you put your headphones on it. All sorts of wacky, wacky stuff. And uh, But... But the fact that I I wanted to run QLab and we had two backs there. It was like, oh, I might as well try to make something. And then it went from there. The next one is finding a Bluetooth-controlled one where I can run one wirelessly. Because they make a Bluetooth controller. They're just not in stock anymore. There's a Bluetooth. Same idea as a Tinsy. So you actually don't even need the Tinsy. It runs the same Arduino stuff, but it's Bluetooth. has its own Bluetooth thing on it.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah. My only fear is I still feel Bluetooth. I know it's great these days. Yeah, but I just I just fear it for some reason.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was super slow. I mean, it's fast now. It's almost as fast yeah. as as Wi-Fi, but the range yeah. still
1: sucks. But I mean, like, the you know, range sucks. I mean, I'm using a Bluetooth mouse. It works yeah. great. But yeah, I don't know something about having a, a control. Maybe it's because I know that the Bluetooth in this is like built really well. Yeah, and a third-party Bluetooth Bluetooth controller could be sketchy.
0: If you think you're on a workstation, you don't want to have, you don't want to walk around to the bathroom with it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that, <laughs> that's why I didn't want a MIDI. I didn't want to make a MIDI session with it. I wanted it to be a keyboard controller because yeah. that's the most simplest way to do it. Um, if you try to make a MIDI, I don't know. I had problems with, I always have problems with midis when you're dealing with things that don't specifically do things like MIDI stuff, like keyboard control stuff, like, yeah. like sounds, anything that's lossless, anything you need to have a report back from is like, that MIDI, just not, not, my, not my cup of tea.
1: You know what? That's funny. That's the big problem I'm having with making my Huey controller is all the responses because it hasn't really been well documented. Yeah. Um, I have this one PDF that has like a full list of everything, but it doesn't have, for example, the, the Keep Alive response that Pro Tools needs to keep a, a Huey controller active. Mm-hmm. So I just have to probe Huey controllers and find out what that Keep Alive response is, and I haven't gotten around to doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I find that when I get into the projects over my head, the epiphany moments are pretty rare, you know, but when you get those, ah, you know, because I made a thing, uh, it was the chimes box that says our theaters open or theater opens at this time. It's 10 buttons. I, it kept triggering twice and I kept yeah. hitting it. And every time it pressed down, it would fire. And then when it released, it would fire again. So you'd have like, uh-huh. bu, 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 it would be like a slap back delay. So I contacted the guy that I got the code from, and he replied like a month later. And I've been working on this thing for like since June. So (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it was like this thing, and it kept firing. So what I did, I was trying to make little spacers. When I pushed the button down, it would only go down a little bit. You know? Actually, I got the thing here. This is the other half of it. Nice. So it attaches to the wall. And I actually use Ethernet cable to make the the connection. So it's still a physical connection. Brilliant. Yeah. So... So, the guy's like, Well, you got three, f- I'll give you a couple options. There's like a when released function and yep. then when held.
1: Yeah, the press release. You yeah. had it on both, didn't you?
0: I didn't No, It was just when pressed. So, I put, oh, okay. he said, If you change everything to w- when held, really- you can send how long you want to hold it for and then it fires the cue. Oh. So, therefore, I can have this out right on the side of the stage. Kids can hit the buttons all day long. They have to hold it for three seconds before it fires the cue. Oh, so it was like smart. ah yes, you know, because I thought, how are we going to make this so kids aren't fucking with it all the time? You yeah. know, like because you're going to see buttons, you're going to push the buttons. You know what I mean? Like, of course. So uh, that was one of those moments, like it works, you know. So then we recorded it all ourselves and put the box together, and yeah, I think I might even make a little market out of it. Cause it's, nice. Because the other thing you can see here where the numbers are, yep, that's the same print. I paused the printer and changed the color of the filament to red. Oh cool. So the numbers are actually printed on there. So I might have
1: to get you to print me a box cuz I'm just using these like stock like this one isn't even a Hammond box. It's <laughs> some terrible box from China. When I and- go to
0: sale electronics and I see the project box section, I say that's my competition. <laughs> oh
1: you have they, it's not competition at all they're terrible and i
0: can make mine as- a- asymmetrical i don't know if you can see how the shape is yeah there. i just sort of get wacky with it so now i'm, I'm now it's a spot for my 3d printing business but uh, but yeah <laughs> no it's uh i mean definitely as an old guy like i'm i'm almost 50 you know i'm 47 48 this year next year what when i learn stuff it makes me feel like i'm actually still current and that's the problem mm. with the music business is that you kind of feel like sometimes you're like, oh, crap, I'm getting left behind. You know what I mean? Like, so I made a constant effort to try and get all my stuff sort of newer so I could actually yeah. have the knowledge because there's guys that come to our theater who are analog guys. They don't mix on uh, our Digico. They can't. They never will. You know,
1: that see, that's nuts to me because, like, these days you have to yeah. like uh, I. And that, that freaked me out, um, was it 2015, I think? I did a tour with Die Mannequin. Yeah. I was doing their front of house. We were opening for Manson. It was great. But I hadn't mixed a live show in five years at that point. And I hadn't mixed on a digital desk really ever. Mm-hmm. So I asked the chief engineer at FaZe, because he does a ton of live work, and he was kind enough to take me up to Frontier and yeah, just yeah, ran yeah. me through the, through the Digico desk for a day and like five minutes in i was like oh it's just eqs and compression and everything i know i just need to know how to get there Mm -hmm. and as soon as i did it once i was just like i'm never going back this is amazing
0: yeah and if you learn on digico first you kind of have to now just forget how all the other boards work that's the (laughs) that's the digico way but the flow is obviously better like i worked on i have a i have an m32 it kind of works like a pm5 like the same idea Mm -hmm. as a pm5 is basically translated into the digit design boards which then translated into anything with like a uh, like a control surface on per page thing or yeah. per, per channel. Uh, but DigiGo kind of turned it on its ear and made it more um, usable. You just have to forget how the other consoles worked.
1: Well, at that point luckily I didn't know how the other yeah. ones worked, so <laughs> I had a huge benefit.
0: The, yeah, how those things work are amazing because you can actually uh, you have your f- faders of 12 faders and you can call mm-hmm. any fader you want it to. You on the fly. The best part is the alternate the alternate input. I've never seen a console deal with it so well. Where if you have something plugged in, your backup on a, another channel, you can actually have two inputs that you can just switch backwards and forwards, which right. is great for wireless. And I think they all kind of do that now. But Digico kind of started that ten years ago, like when they first came out with their their boards. It's yeah. such a brilliant idea because you never you imagine like if you have to change. Just a wired, to put a wired mic, the guy's wireless goes down, you give him a wired. Well, that's sometimes on another channel. You don't know what's set. You know what I mean? Yep. This way you can actually, all the gain structures are all everything. The only thing that's the best part is that the, the um, you can choose like your aux ends and your fader position. It's almost yep. seamless, you know?
1: The thing I really liked about that desk is you had your your standard layout, which I don't know if the other ones do this, um, but like you have your standard layout of just kind of faders in a row. And then you can build custom pages. Yeah. Yeah. You so, your, like, your pages on the, yeah, yeah. I, I could have all the normal stuff laid out for like when I'm doing sound check. And then I can actually have just like my mix page where I've just got like lead guitar, lead vocal, some effects returns. Yeah. You know, all my bus con- uh, compression returns. Yeah. You put like, all your, yeah. Everything just, can
0: fit on one. Like, you could almost work like the board, like it's a single bank of 12 faders. Yeah, it's almost like an yeah. You know, so I, I what I do we do a lot of musicals, so it's like how you build that because you have 26 channels of lavs, you know, mm-hmm. and then a band is that they're on two different pages how the board's set up anyways, but you can set your centered or whatever whatever cluster you'd want to have like control groups with just the band or just the principals and they're all switchable. So when you switch your chan your your cue, it actually changes who your principals are because it, it's just so gnarly and awesome how that thing works and i don't remember i don't think you could do something i don't know how they did it like with analog boards where they would have to like like you just phantom or something back in the day like there's no way i'd be able to control it and hang on to it
1: oh yeah i mean i think you just gave up a level of control you're just like you're just like well we'll, we've got it working let's deal (laughs) with it (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely and
0: musicals are relatively new thing for me i'm I'm not obviously it didn't come from theater i just you know Mm -hmm. But uh, did you ever uh, do you ever think about getting a theater gig or doing something like house house gig where
1: you know are you are you you're a freelance guy though right like yep I'm fully freelance now just bouncing around doing whatever so yeah it's it's actually resulted in some really interesting gigs that I never would have been able to take before um mm-hmm. I just did two shows with Aviva she's a young pop artist she's mm-hmm. Family Channel star fantastic to work with too brilliant mm-hmm. singer um but yeah they hired me as her musical director which is something I never thought I would get to do. And it's, it's so much fun because I'm a producer for live. Mm-hmm. And her producers, which there's a couple, uh, and uh, her mix engineers sent me all the sessions. And so here I am. A, I get to look at everyone else's Pro Tools sessions, which yeah. I love doing. Yeah. Uh, B, I get to remix it in a completely different sort of mindset for a live experience. And then after I've remixed it for how I picture it, then I get to go hire musicians. I get to hire a drummer, bassist, a keyboardist/slash guitarist, and I wrote all their parts for them and got to arrange it. And it was Whoa. so much fun to do because, yeah. like, most control. I, you know, I'm sure you do the same thing I do. You go to a live show and you're like, "This sounds terrible. I just wish the guitarist would stop." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. I literally got paid to say, "Stop playing that." Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and yeah, and it was so much fun building the backing tracks rig, which uh I I gonna be honest, I completely stole from the Shania Twain rig. I, I called in my buddy again and was like, Hey, how do you guys run backing tracks? He's yeah, like, yeah. Well, we do digital performer on two computers and we have uh these converters. And I was like, Cool, I can't afford that. I'm gonna just kind of scale it down. <laughs> <laughs> Key lab would work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, it was interesting. I think the the weirdest thing for me was how I ended up mixing it. Because I only could run an 8-track rig for these shows. I I didn't have the ability to go out and get, like, a 16 or 24. Right. So I had to stem it. Plus, I had to have my production track, which had, like, cues for sections and then um, also a click track, went to the drummer. Yeah. And then I had to just split up to just kind of, like, drums and synths and backup vocals. And it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. The thing that really blew my mind is how I ended up mixing and sort of remastering the live tracks is i would do the drums in in the single and then i would go to all the other songs and sort of obviously they were already mixed so i just kind of leveled them to match okay so that when i was doing my live set the faders on the live console didn't have to move i just knew that those were always going to be parked at like when the next song came in the drums were going to be at the exact same level yeah 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 the crazy part about that is as soon as you do that, then the levels for everything else in every other song changes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Totally. So I ended up having to like remix her whole album in stems for a live
0: aspect. So with the tracks, like all those, every little bells and whistle, or did you actually have physical drums from the session that could be played against the real drummer? Like, how was that, how was that
1: working out? I had everything. They Mm. gave me everything to play with. And then I like, so when I, Came up with a drum part for the drummer, then I would pull out the drum backing tracks, but I would still keep in like some of the little fun stuff like tambourines, yeah, and yeah, electronic yeah, like, yeah. hats, or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So we had like a really full hybrid live rig that was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I worked with a country band called uh, Small Town Pistols for the past four years, mm-hmm. uh, not last year, but the year before that for four years. And they did have all their backing tracks, but it, unfortunately, it was only could come down one channel. So yeah, it was pretty minimalist. But what we put down there was like, it was like, I wish I had control because the tambourine's like cha 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 You're like, yep. ah, really? And all the other tracks are buried under it. But when they sent, they did the exact same thing to uh, their bass player. Uh, the producer sent up everything, so all he had to pick the parts, and some of them are like over a hundred tracks. You know what I mean? And yep. he has to find and you got to jam that all into one mono track. Yeah, and then well, then you take what you need cuz everything's there. Same thing, all the drums, all the bass, all the keys, everything. But you got to take what the other keyboard
1: can play. I just wish I had a little bit more control on it. I guess that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's that's exactly what when we were doing the the tour, mm-hmm. we were literally running it off of an iPod where they had the click panned right and the track panned left and off you go. That's and off you go. And Ever since that experience, and I've done that a, a million times with bands, I was just always just like you. I want to have that control. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, this is the first time I really got to do it, and I got to do it at, like, at the highest level. And it was just so much fun to mix because I'm like, I know exactly where everything is. I just mixed these stems, so like I know where everything's coming and what's going on. Yeah. And then like they're all playing parts that I wrote, so I know what they're doing. Yeah. And she's up there doing her thing, and I can just shape it all around her. That's amazing,
0: yeah, that's cool. the uh yeah, i I work. We do a lot of the classic albums live. They come to our oh, theater. yeah, yeah,
1: I know those guys, yeah.
0: and uh they always have the one musical director will comes and does every show, even the rush one. and uh really he, yeah, how he keeps all that together because he's on every show, like and they're like a nationwide like, oh, yeah, go all over America too, like. How he keeps all that focused, I don't know, in that one keyboard, it just blows my mind how well he can keep that thing focused. And you got a bunch of like people in the audience that know the record inside out, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's funny you're talking about boards. I, I've been working a little bit with the Pro Two lately, the, the Midas.
1: Oh, how do you like it? I don't know. I don't know. That's, I wanna like it.
0: I wanna, but I don't.
1: That's the one with the um I think I used that once. It's got it's got that new software in it, right? And it looks exactly like the Behringer stuff because it is now. Yes, and no,
0: no. When you, it has a 15 inch screen that isn't a touchscreen that everybody touches yeah. because they think it's a touchscreen. So when you turn it on, it's funny seeing all the fingerprints on it. It has a trackball, yeah, has a trackball. Yeah, track <laughs> and the the only thing it kind of does well is um, when you make your your population groups. So Mm -hmm. if you want to put your drums in a population group, it spreads it across the... When you hit your population group, it only shows those faders. Okay. So that's kind of neat. But it does... It 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 sort of backfills it. So if you have 12 channels of of drums, the other... It sort of ends up on that first bank of eight, starts on kick, and then moves up. So if you're dealing with something like a large show, it does something really bad, actually. I hope they fix it. (laughs) But if you press your graphic EQ... And the mm-hmm. graphs show up. And then you go to hit your instrument and select that. The graph doesn't go away. So oh, you really? actually have to mouse up and close the graph out for the the master channel to show up. Otherwise you, it's weird. behind, you can't see what you're doing. So it does some neat stuff. I mean with the EQing and how things work, it still has a view button. So every time you hit that, it shows on that what it is, what it is on their on your overview window. Mm -hmm. but it's slow like it's not like i have an m32 and i know i could do monitors faster on an m32 than i could a pro 2 so that's sort of saying something that's not great no (laughs) it's true um yeah no i'm all about the the m32 i i I really dig this board it's something i'd never have been able to have 15 years ago you know when it comes with the prices and how useful it is it's already made its money back like i use it all the time
1: that's amazing yeah Yeah, those desks and like they really are Super cheap for what they do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like you look at the digi codes, they're what, like 30, 30, 40,000? Cheap. One like that. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you think about what you do with it in a year, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, getting that 30 or 40,000 is another story, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you looked at what, like, and also when we lift, like, say, a Pro 2, it takes two people to put it on, like, on a stand. Yeah. Where before I remember working at the amphitheater and like a fifty-six channel Midas would come through and you're like, Oh fuck, here we go. My yeah, we'll back is six here. people on it. Yeah, like trying to lift this thing yeah. up. So I, I mean, yeah, everything has become so much more like I have a few clients, it's all stored in here. Um, I have a stage box underneath. Like I I've taken this to do a broadcast show for bands where we just do like a morning TV show and it sets up in twenty minutes and keep the page so if they want to do another one we could just it's it's really useful to me like i could never and i had a i had a rule like i i can't buy anything that doesn't fit in my car (laughs) it needs to fit in my car great rule yeah right and i need to uh i need to make sure everything is useful because i i just like i said a while ago i actually upgraded everything i bought everything speakers a sub my computer everything you know, because everything was just getting to the point. All the old shits back there. You can see in yeah. those those two things. Don't
1: you, don't you hate how it seems to all line up too? Yeah. I, mean, I guess it's because you bought it all around the same time. It's like it's not like, oh, I can just replace this one thing. It's like, no, nope, they all have to go and I have to rebuy it all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with it because anything that's in that case back there, it's been used a thousand times and I don't it's like it's not my hobby. I mean, I make money off this too. Like it's it's mm-hmm. something that has to pay for itself and it might look somewhat decadent to people but it's like no this is the most bare bones useful thing i could ever get and simplicity is always key to how i want to function you know what i mean like a lot of people get stuck and they fall down rabbit holes where they have to like keep up and get that ten thousand dollar mic or whatever and like what's your uh, what is your thoughts on that stuff
1: um i'm a little biased i came from the world of crazy expensive mics and the best preamps and all the best compressors and i Half the time it is legit, and the other half the time it's complete bullshit, yeah, like uh there is something to be said about an expensive microphone
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know i I personally use the m one forty nine all the night all the time. I have one it's fantastic um that's what a you can get those used for like three or four thousand, I think they're like four or five new, mm-hmm. and that thing is you just can't can't compare with it mm-hmm. and but that, that being said, for everything that's not like pop or pristine, I'm still just using an SM7. It's mm. one of the best vocal mics ever made. Yeah, Like any rock vocal, it's perfect. Yeah. And that's what? three dollars $400 mic? Yeah. Easily. Yeah. But the trick with that, of course, <laughs> is I'm running it into Neve prees and through an 1176 and then sure. through like Zora converters, so... You know, the rest of the chain is worth about $15,000.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that train of thought where people are like, well, it's only getting played through your earpods anyways, but my thoughts are, well, it needs to start in a good place and then slowly devolve until it's on the radio, yeah. which is, that's essentially where it hopefully ends up. But nobody's going to know that it was through all
1: that amazing, you know. I think they do. Like, it adds something that will translate even on earbuds. Really? Like, I mean, just think, really. Interesting. Absolutely it's it's something in the texture that you're capturing and for me you know when i started working with really expensive microphones i can't say that i heard any difference Mm -hmm. but when i started mixing records and like really getting serious about mixing records i just noticed like hey that vocal took me 20 seconds and just sat right in the mix with no compression or eq Mm -hmm. this vocal over here i've been fighting with for two years and i still can't get it to sound good Mm -hmm. and then you sort of just notice a pattern and you kind of find what mics work for you and unfortunately all the ones that work for me are expensive ones (laughs) (laughs) and and, yeah i've actually done for a couple of companies well we've done shootouts uh for you know like the the apex stuff and they sound great you can't you can't fight it it does sound really good and for anyone who wants to do demoing and and just recording and even just auxiliary mics it sounds great but I know for a fact when I get to a mix stage, there's just it's a time saver, really. Yeah. Like instead of fighting it to try and make it sound like something, it just sounds like something.
0: That's that's a very interesting. Co- yeah, I mean, because that's yeah, another part of my career is like once I start getting into, like I got nice nicer monitors, and my whole world changed. It was like, holy yep. shit, I can hear stuff now, and my mixes didn't sound muddy and shitty anymore. And this is like 25 years ago. But, you know, it's I get the part what you're saying, like, when you do have a taste of what's, like, truly awesome, then you're like, oh, then you're like, I gotta get that, you know? Yeah. That's the thing and I it,
1: need. I think the biggest thing is it's not about being better or worse. I don't think it's a quality thing. I think it's just a familiarity thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, you know, like, look at Neve preamps. They are the standard for just good preamps. hmm the circuit design is kind of garbage. Yeah. They're unreliable, they break all the time. They're they're not really a good piece of technology. But they've been used on every record we love. Yeah. And now we have to have them. Yeah. And unfortunately those transformers are rare and expensive and that's just what
0: makes them cost a lot. And it's something you can't emulate in a box at all.
1: No, you can't. You can try. You really can't. You can in you can if you assume that your capture is perfectly flat. And I think that's like, you have those slate microphones that Mm -hmm. say you can emulate the microphone. You can emulate the preamp and everything. I'm like, I get what you're doing. Absolutely. But there's two things you can't do. You can't emulate how the power is interacting with the diaphragm of a microphone. Mm -hmm. Like when you turn up the gain knob on a preamp, the amount of electricity that hits it and the way that it hits it is going to be completely different than just having a perfectly flat 20 to 20 pristine mic. And then just, carving out a filter curve after yeah so i i think you know we could match the eq curve and you could even theoretically match some of the dynamic range but i you know the simplest thing for me is like proximity you can't change the how a vocalist interacting with the mic just the proximity of it is going to happen and for every mic it's different yeah yeah you get a large diaphragm condenser versus like a small diaphragm dynamic. Those aren't going to be react the exact same in any way. Mm-hmm. Now I've heard those slate mics. Do I think they get like 98% of the way there? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is that enough for the most part? Yeah. 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 But you know, when I can go just grab an SM seven or yeah, you know, the, the right mic, it again, it's nothing I hear. It's just when I, when I go to mix, it takes less time
0: yeah well i did notice like was where i i worked with an s s l for ten years is i got the waves s s l they're mastering their uh um, what is the smarts uh compressor that comes yeah, with I'm every smart? Th- yeah this guy, this guy right here yeah <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah i i know i tried like the only thing the uh it was very close because i would day be between the plug in and the actual the mm-hmm. actual piece of electronic and although it wasn't it wasn't like Perfect. And there was a few things missing on the plug on the plug that the that the board didn't you know what I mean? That the board did. It still had like that sort of tonal overtones that I'm like, that is kind of what you said. It's good enough. Like for me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well that it's funny you mentioned the SSL bus compressor because this is the one I've been struggling with for the longest time. Like I have the LN Smart C two right here, yeah. but uh I only use it about fifty percent of the time. I don't use it and, anymore at all, actually. Like Sometimes sometimes it's a laziness thing, I'm not going to lie. I, like, If I know the client's going to ask me to recall the mix like 100 times, I'm just mm. like, you know what? It's good enough. It's like 98% of the sound quality. And other times, you know, I'll have been working with the session, jumping around from a couple of studios and I'll have just had the SSL bus compressor plug-in on. And then when I turn it off and put the real one on, it doesn't sound the same anymore. Mm-hmm. And I mean, theoretically, it probably sounds better, but it doesn't sound right to me right so there's been times where i turn it off and go back to the plugin because i'm just like that's just doing what i want it to do
0: yeah absolutely yeah for sure yeah because i have i have all the waves stuff and i don't i'm trying to get away from actually using as many plugins as i used to use and i'm Mm -hmm. because the other thing is i can't i gotta buy it again now like because i'm starting to upgrade software it's like oh shit now i gotta buy it all again So I have to buy certain plugins. So now I'm just consolidating the plugins I need into like six or seven of them, you know, and use them like, like pieces of outboard gear, as opposed to like, I have every choice under the sun of plugin. Awesome. But how is that going to help me? And what you were saying about familiarity is that I'm familiar with like some of the McDSP plugins. I love them, Mm -hmm. but I don't have much use for every plugin they have.
1: Right. Yeah, so absolutely, and it's funny you mentioned just like stripping down to a couple. Um, when I'm teaching my Pro Tools class there, when I teach the the mix portion, first thing I tell them to do is DAWs are so limitless. Like you have so many options that the first thing you should do is just take them all away. Mm-hmm. Like build yourself a classic studio. Like if you're trying to do a Motown mix, build your studio so that you have only like seven pieces of gear. Yeah, and don't use a compressor on every channel just no. be like cool what's my favorite what's like i'm going to allocate these compressors for a certain thing yeah yeah and every time i open up a, a young mix engineers sessions and i see like a million plugins on every channel and they're like yeah it doesn't sound very good what do i do i just take all the plugins off and they're like oh that sounds better I'm like yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> have you ever do you ever get there's a lot of like marvin Gaye multi track stuff and uh it's on like torrents and bob marley recordings yep. um I've and even at Jimmy Eat World, there's uh, the middles yep. you can download that and mix I it. I have all of those I It's amazing. <laughs> we tried to put new drums on the Bob Marley song and we had like beautiful room and everything. It just this doesn't work. It's not working. Nope. <laughs> nope. It was no, almost you, sacrilegious.
1: You can't you can't do that. <laughs> no, I know. I remember when uh actually back at the first studio I worked at there for a long time, Q Music with uh Robert Sibney was the manager. He uh, actually had me come in over the course of like two or three days, and we had the Bohemian Rhapsody multi. I have that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the first thing we did is, as you as you know, it's on, it's just on twenty four. It's on twenty
0: three tracks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing we did was we split that up to be like it we would do in a digital session. How
0: many tracks do so you get?
1: We. Uh, I think it was like 170 or something. Oh, you like win because I got it
0: to like 57, 57 yeah. tracks. I could no. Imagine. We
1: went crazy with it. We we're like isolating vocals and trying to like make it so that we can mix it how we would mix. Yeah. And then uh, once we had it all set up, he was just like, "All right, cool. Now we're going to mix it in five one." Ooh. And we did we did a full five one mix of it. And uh, actually, you know what the hilarious part of that is? um As much as it was just an exercise for us to see what we could do. We ended up getting the Max Webster thirtieth thirtieth anniversary live mix because of that five one mix.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, the live, the uh, live, uh, whatever the yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the record they, talking
1: about. They actually they never released it. Yeah, but I know the live album because I think yeah. I have it somewhere around here. Um, it was the, I, was it the Q Music thirtieth anniversary one? Something like that. It was, and they did video for it and everything. Yeah. Unfortunately, Kim Mitchell uh, killed it before it ever got released. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we had Mike Tilka by, and he just loved the uh, the Queen 5-1 mix so much that he was just like, hey, well, I got these things. Why don't you, why don't you mix these? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I ended up, that was the one of the first big live mixes, or live redone in a studio DVD format mixes that I did. That's amazing. We did the whole thing in 5-1. Yeah, yeah. There Unfortunately, is, I, we had uh, Kim Mitchell by, and he listened to it, and it's just like, yeah, I don't like my vocals. We're not putting it out.
0: Yeah, he has that. I've done monitors for him. Actually, it's funny. Their front of house guy tuned in the monitors for me with me, and then yeah. Kim Mitchell got behind the mic. We're like, "You sound like shit. What's up?" And I'm like, "Johnny, this is Johnny Watt on front of house?" Mm. And I was like, "God, really? I could have just set it up because he just takes so nothing in his wedge, just his voice, right? Like you know, how yeah. people like are tweakers, and he's got just his voice. But uh, that that is very cool. Because yeah, do you know there's an actual documentary on the making of Bohemian Rhapsody?" It's on. I think, yes, I've seen
1: it. it they it's show the mixing,
0: and they split their board in two. And yeah. Freddie Mercury had all the vocals, and it was What's his Roy Tom Roy uh, something Thompson? Whatever the producer, he had all mm. the band. So they split the board into two. with Well, with a, in twenty four, so he actually had control as well. But they showed how they mixed it. It was unbelievable, like how they did that. And because, it was
1: also it was also crazy because that was done on two different tapes. Yeah. So um, I remember there being stories about how they like nobody had any idea what it was going to sound like. No, until and he's they like, got "You got to gotta trust
0: me. The middle parts kind of will be boring. And if you actually, you can do, you can actually pare it down to the original take because Brian May actually never even played guitar on that part of the session when they were tracking it. So he right. was he was away. So it was piano, bass, and drums. So you can just take the drums because there's a snare adou- um, the overdub at the end too. They're just the snare yep. coming in at the uh, heavy part. Um, be a funny part of that conversation actually if you're like let's just add more snare but um <laughs> but you can actually hear a piano bass and drums in that take and it's pretty much one take i don't know what sort of splicing was done to get that one take but you can hear him singing on the piano mics his yep. singing counting what was going on like it's amazing i have killer queen somewhere around here too
1: i have that one as well yeah it's a lot of fun
0: i took the ding out of killer queen and put that it on Ding,
1: with- that ding is offensive isn't it it's It's so ridiculously just harsh and punishing.
0: I took the ding, the gong, and the shh part of Bohemian Rhapsody, and I put it into one of my songs. And it's like, if you hear it, you're like, oh, those are all the parts. So it's almost like an inside (laughs) joke to the people that I tell, because you would just think you could just do a ding. It's like, I don't know where it would sit. If it ever came out, it might be some very...
1: Um, so you know on the uh on the jimmy Eat world track yeah you know you know how it's got those lin drum samples yeah 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 doop, doop. I, I stole those and i put them on my record that i'm working on right now <laughs> really
0: do you yeah know, actually the most exciting thing about that song is what they do when they add them with the real toms yeah it's amazing they're like doop, doop. that's the only sound they have that's the only ones i had they just had these yeah. and it's on one track and it's panned yep. the automation part of it but how, if you just take the drum take and take those out of there until you, and when you add that part in, it's like, holy, wow. Okay. It whoever makes a huge difference. A big difference. Big, big difference. Yeah. You've ever been, I've been to that studio where they record a cello with that, because um, I worked with Sum 41 for a while and they recorded some stuff at the, in their the studio too, which is like where Pet Sounds was recorded. and
1: Oh, nice. Yeah.
0: And Jimmy Eat World recorded in the larger room that, that record, um, um bleed american but uh that's an amazing room like that's a yeah
1: just a... i mean you can hear it like those those drum sounds when I, the first time i pulled them up it was like oh it kicks pretty standard snares pretty standard overheads whatever and then you hit the rooms you're like oh there's all the good yeah it's yeah, like it's... that just that room sounds amazing you know i was recorded there was a uh, jellyfish
0: recorded uh their um what was the record called Uh, spilt milk there at that record oh nice yeah and there's uh if you listen to that album it sounds a lot like queen and and beach boys sort of put together it came out in the 90s great album but it's uh yeah i could talk recording all day it's good (laughs) (laughs) i um it's really cool like i'm I'm glad that you know i get to meet somebody who's kind of is is doing it you know what i mean like because as you get older you start thinking oh you know you have your you know, you, well, people in the music industry sort of pull back a little bit after a while. Like, and that's what feel what I've done with my music career, business career. So, sort of, I pull back, and I let everybody watch it. You know what I mean? I have no intention to sort of participate in it, but I am, and I envy and I respect the people that actually work in it, you know? So that's, you know, that's, that's you. I mean, that's, that's oh, good, thanks. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Cause it's a, it is a very hard, it's, it's very hard to get there. It's a hard road. You know what I mean? And, yeah. A lot of people don't understand that part, and there's a lot of like weird trickery business stuff where people are like, Oh, I just got lucky or this and that. They have an excuse as to why someone has success. I,
1: I think it's because most of them don't know. Yeah. They they just all of us kind of feel like we just fell into it and it's like, ah, I don't know why I made it, and I don't really have any tips.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it's like it's not like you don't want to give any trade secrets away. It's like that you're here you don't know where that time went and now here you are. Um, Yeah. And And the other thing
1: is it usually, cause this actually kind of came up to me again recently. And someone was just like, yeah. So like, how did you make it? I'm like, I'll let you know when I do, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you never, you never feel like you're there. Yeah. Yeah. It is. You just kind of get used to the idea of like, you know, every gig I do, I think is my last.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's true.
1: And, it's it's crazy to me, this whole thing. Like, like I just finished up two project two albums last week. And I was joking with my friend there. I was just like, yeah, so I'm unemployed now. I got nothing. Yeah. And literally, so the day after the record finished, they called me, they're like, ah, oh, we got some touch-up stuff. I'm like, cool, no problem. Another day's work. Yeah. And then after that day, I'm like, cool. So I'm done. This is my last day in the music industry. I'm out. <laughs> You can get and, your holiday and pay, then, and then immediately I get a call like, "Hey, we need like four days of tracking next week." I'm like, "I got some back in." Yeah, so that's that's just how it goes. And I I always have people ask me like, "How do you plan for that?" Like, well, you don't, no. and you just have a really good rapport with your credit card credit card company. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's wild how like you know not so much anymore. I've gotten really good at planning for it, and budgeting, but like my first few years freelancing before I started at Pays, there'd be times where I'd be like down eight grand on a credit card and then the next month i'd be up two grand yeah
0: it is feast or famine Absolutely, absolutely
1: luckily these days it just seems to be like constantly feast with occasional like oh i don't know what i'm doing tomorrow and then it just suddenly fills up
0: yeah i have a friend who's a photographer and he takes he's a very good photographer and he's a hard working photographer and he goes down to los angeles a lot and he's thinking about moving down there his whole family but he's the only guy I know that bought his house with cash.
1: Yeah. you know, because... And that's the only, because if someone came up to me and was like, hey, do you want to buy a house, get a mortgage? I'm like, ah, I don't know if I could pay that yeah. every month. I'll tell you, I mean, <laughs>
0: i got our mortgage. I had no T4 slip. My parents had to make one. They had to fake a T4 <laughs> slip from their company that made it look like I made $50,000 a year. when I didn't even make close to that. But I was like, I was a professional recording engineer for a good 15 years and I didn't I didn't pay any taxes on it. <laughs> nope. No. Just it was,
1: edit, edit that part out.
0: No, I <laughs> fine. I pay a lot of taxes now. But uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> I worked a very amount of years on cash. And I paid mm-hmm. my mortgage. And you know, my credit got better because it kept paying the mortgage. Yeah. But but I had no real income. you know. And yeah. I had to... We lied. Like even my mom had to pick the phone up saying her name was Pam Asling. To say that she was my um, my employer, that my mom. I'm on a service call right now. I can't come to the phone. And it got all the way to the part we got to the lawyer's office with. And I'm picking up the keys, and the guy's like, "What's your uh, what's your work phone number?" And I'm like, "I don't know, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> I thought the guys are just gonna take the keys back off the table. All right, you know, yeah, your jig is up. Get out of here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I was trying to do that. Is uh, it two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. I uh, I was trying to buy a condo in Toronto, which is just a nightmare. Yeah. Um, we ended up losing it. They I got outbid by a hundred thousand dollars. Gee. So was, I yeah, yeah. Asking price was three ninety nine. I I bid up to four twenty nine. I believe. Crazy. And then it, it went for five twenty nine. You got to move out to Uxbridge. Life's good out here. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Away. Well, <laughs> yeah. So when I, when I was going in to get the mortgage, um, they're like, so how much do you make? And I had my accountant forward over my uh, NOA, and they're like, "Cool, you make like twenty two thousand a year." Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. There's a lot of that that doesn't show on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you know, I was doing like uh, the studio income at the time, but like all of the side stuff. It's mostly cash deals. Yep. So over the last couple of years I I've been talking to my accountant and I'm like, "Okay, cool, just make it look like I make a little bit more every year."
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's the when you're your own business, like my brother, he owns a landscaping business. He never makes it look like he makes a lot of money. I mean,
1: yeah. but that's the you know. But if you want to get a mortgage or something, you, you have to. You need
0: to. Yeah, it's right. But so. when you want to not pay taxes and or pay little yeah. smaller taxes and you always have to show yourself at a you know, in a bit of a deficit, you know, when it comes to financial yeah. money. You don't want to have a you know, people come take all your money because once you reach us, I mean, it's adult stuff. I don't understand. My wife does all this stuff. Like I, I <laughs> still, you know, actually I didn't know this. I'm going to say this, this is a scoop to the podcast, but I didn't know what date garbage day was up until I moved here 10 years ago.
1: That's one of the great benefits of living on Bloor street in Toronto is I don't have to know. <laughs> I just day. put it out whenever and he has to clean it up.
0: Yeah. See, I didn't know. Cause it was like, cause it was funky. We lived, I, we lived in East York for I think 10 some something plus years but we didn't, I didn't know what day garbage day was and it happened every week. you right. So I was like, so, cause I'd be on tour or whatever. And then it come yeah. back and I even got back sometimes where I didn't know where stuff was in the cupboards. Like, where's that? Where's the sugar again? Uh, I think it's up here. No, those are the, those are the glasses. Okay. Of course they are. You know, it's yeah. my house. I didn't know, you know, but whatever that's a, that's a whole other conversation. But, um, <laughs> no man, I, I, you know, I, uh, I think it's it's good that someone can have a positive outlook on it, and not, you know, I don't feel a lot of jadedness. There's no jadedness coming from you because people that do it a long time sometimes have a bit of a "been there, done it" kind of approach, and yeah. uh, being positive in this business is is I think a key to success. You know, and yeah. and someone asks me like, "Well, how come you've been doing this for twenty years, something thirty years?" And I go, "Just don't be a dick. Don't be a dick.
1: Literally, don't." Yeah. And- you know, I think one of the other things I've seen a lot is there's always this idea that it's such a cutthroat industry and it's so much competition. It really isn't. No. Like, most of my quote-unquote competition are my friends. Yeah. And it, it to me, I am I consider myself super lucky because I just get to hang out with a bunch of great friends and we pass around bands and they're all friends too. And mm-hmm. manage, managers and agents are all friends. Like I was saying with my manager there, he's my best friend. Yeah. Like, that That happened first, yeah, and then we just developed a working relationship after, yeah, and most of the artists I work with, too, you know, like we met at a show, we started talking about music, and we just became friends, yeah, and i i I always kind of go for the soft pitch because mainly I just I don't like pitching myself for work. Mm-hmm. so I just kind of like, hey, this is me. We like to drink whiskey and hang out and I like making music occasionally, and usually they come to me later. Yeah. And just say, hey, uh, you know, I was just had this idea for a record. Do you want to do some tracking on it? Yeah. And so if, that, yeah, if you guys spend of...
0: 20 hours a day in a room with somebody, at least you don't want them to be a fucking
1: asshole. Yeah. You know, because you love like, those people. Yeah. And I see a lot of people, you know, posting constantly on Facebook, like, you know, looking to fill up October or trying to, like, mm. you know, got, got an open Saturday, you know, book me. And I'm just like, you know, take the Saturday off, yeah. man. <laughs>
0: Yeah. When I, I first opened my studio in 1997 in Toronto at Ossington and Dundas, and uh, I had this big space, I didn't know how to pay for it, I had all my gear in it. I was picking up the phone and calling people, and I was like going to the answer machine to see if people were calling me because I literally yeah. had no work. You know, right? I made all my money by driving to Thunder Bay and recording four bands for three weeks and then driving home. But it was the first time I'd actually moved, and I took every gig under the sun, anything and yeah. everything. and. That is a problem because you get Absolutely. saturated and then you suck and you're not good at what you do because you're angry because you got to keep working and then you don't have work because you're too busy trying to find work you know and then mm-hmm. you're not working so you go and look it's just this weird um, elastic band like boing yeah. boing and then over the years it's become less of that and now I have like a, a I have a real job <laughs> you yeah. know I I work and I I do stuff and I still mix bands but I do it now in a whole different reason for it it's not my financial it's to pay for all the stuff i buy you know and and that's it that's why i have a studio and it's because it's fun to do and i want to keep it like that you know and i think the reason i want to do it this way is because i got so badly abused in the late 90s early 2000s with trying to get as much work as possible and not being happy that
1: that was a rough time for the industry too
0: oh yeah the business was broken nobody that was was
1: the beginning of the downfall yeah which, yeah, which yeah. I think peaked around 2009. And then after that, i like, well, it can't go any lower. Let me try up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
0: That is totally true. Yeah. Oh
1: man, 2009 was a terrible year. Yeah. I uh, I had a bunch of records booked that year. I literally had six months worth of records booked. And I was like, I was set. And I went out and bought a brand new MacBook Pro. And I was just like, oh, no worries. I'll pay for that. Yeah. I was just going to edit a bunch of records. and And then that like, Little financial crisis happened, and then suddenly, one by one, every record label is just like, um, "We no longer require your services." Yeah, and literally, I went from it was January and I was booked till August to nothing. Yeah, and I could, I I think I took three months off, and I just kind of hung out and did nothing. Then I started producing a couple of records. I ended up producing a couple of records for um, groups from Israel, oddly enough. Really. So random. And then by the end of that summer, uh, I got the offer to go to face and that's how I ended up there. Yeah. And it was, it was just starting to pick back up and I was just like, ah, maybe I can keep making a go of it as a freelancer. But then they're like, well, you can have a salary and benefits and work in a huge studio. It's just, like, yeah, I'll do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I worked at a university between 2006 and 2015. I worked at York university as a systems tech staff member and although that was a cushy job, I had full benefits and I had a salary and I had a, you know, it was very stressful to me because I was mm. like, I'm sort of an alpha kind of dude. Like I like to have a plan and, and I like to make plans and I like the plans to work. But the people at the university say, well, no, your job is this. And that's all you need oh, to do yeah. for us. Thanks a lot. But we'll, we'll be thinking on our own here which is fine. But the other thing was that there was a lot of personalities at universities. Like if you work at a university, it's like no other business in the world because there's a guy who's essentially the king. He's called the Dean and he could yeah. be some, any crazy random win, wing nut from anywhere in the world to come in and be the Dean of fine arts. Mm-hmm. And they can throw that business into turmoil. And who gets, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, who gets screwed? Well, everybody that works there, Dean still has a yeah. gig. The, the people who have to work for it. Cause right? it's their vision. They have a vision. Yeah. You know? yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, their vision, their vision was. I was, but I don't want to get into that. But it was like when you start thinking, oh, I, I kind of want to have a little bit more control of my life, you know, and and that that is freelance in a world. But at the same time, there's yeah. a trade off because for what you were explaining, you, you you sometimes might not have any work. But yeah. I think as you get as things move along and you keep doing it, those those elastic band, you know, feast and famines are fewer yeah. and far between.
1: Well, that, that elastic band imagery is perfect because it. I always try and equate it to courting a band is exactly like dating. Yeah. It's like note for note, part for part. It is dating. Yeah. Except for you're dating, you know, five people in a band yeah. rather than one girl yeah. or a guy, whatever yeah. you're into. Um, but, you know, as, as with dating, the more you push the the more you call them, the less them to be. Yeah. And the more you're just kind of fun to be around and, you know, Kind of have some stuff they want. Maybe got some video games they like or whatever. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I had sure. a full stand-up arcade game in my studio. It was the driving game, and uh, nice. I I went on tour and I put a lock on it. And Trouble Charger were writing an album in there, and <laughs> uh, I made like eighty bucks off of them in quarters, just quarters. Awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Actually, I found out a way with Raspberry Pi's where you can put them into a big stand-up. I con- was
1: I I have the the same
0: thing yeah <laughs> so maybe i'll do that with because i actually the coin collector thing would be funny you just get one of those and you just put it in your studio and just make like any game and they can play any game and and you make your money back because yeah. my cousin had a bunch of them and he sold me one for 50 so i made all the money back on it in one week someone on tour came back and they're they like we need to get back in there we need all our money back I said, like, you're not getting money back fuck you no. <laughs> my money
1: no. So you know how arcade games work?
0: Yeah, it's right. It's like yeah. It's like yeah. Well, hey it was really nice to meet you, man, and um, you know, I I uh, yeah, I, I hope you uh you know, wish you luck,
1: success. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It was tons of fun.
0: And that was Dejan Martineau. Good that was a long one, right? Yeah, hour and a half. That's that's long for a show. The older episodes to go longer. And I'm thinking now, you know get back into doing long ones only if they're really required only if they're really needed but i like ones around 45 minutes those are good ones because you know it's like it's quick quick up and down it's time i actually scaled it to the time it takes me to get to work it takes me about 40 minutes to get to work and that's long enough for an episode for me <laughs> selfish yes so thanks everybody for listening to the show thanks dejan for doing the show Don't forget to shop on Amazon. It's Christmas season. It is coming up. Well, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, but you can, uh, purchase stuff on Amazon and support the show at the same time by going to Apple slash Amazon, or if you're in the United mistakes of America, go to, uh, slash us Amazon to support the show. It's very cool. Um, I am going to keep this short, but I'm telling you what, there's going to be a couple episodes and I think I'm going to take Christmas off and I'll be back on New Year's because nobody listens to podcasts around the Christmas, um, around the holiday seasons anyways, so I will be putting one more episode and then a best of, and that'll probably come out after Christmas. So there won't be too much shortage, but I know that if whatever the Monday comes up and if it happens to fall in a weird time, I I only have one more episode to, to put out between now and the best of episode. And that's going to be cool. It's going to be this... I can't tell you who it is. But he's actually a super big YouTube star guy. So there, there you go. That's a tease. So uh, anyways, next week we will be that person. Hopefully. If not, it'll be the best of. And if that... If it's not, it'll be something else. Maybe me me, and my buddy Kyle. Okay, everybody. So have a great week. And uh, three years of podcasting. And, and, a, and a, one of the third annual, I guess, best ofs coming up. It's going to be a fun week. Um, Have a good one. Okay. Bye.